Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, Episode 10, Average Joe Educator, Astronaut. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. So if you're new to the show, this is where we bring in the experts, NASA scientists, engineers, astronauts, pretty much all the folks that have the coolest information, the stuff you really want to know right on the show, I'll tell you more about everything NASA. So today, we're talking with Joe Acaba. He's a U.S. astronaut, and he just launched to the International Space Station a few days ago on September 12, 2017, for his second long-duration mission aboard the orbiting complex. We talked about his time in the Marine Corps and Peace Corps, his previous missions to space, and his background as a high school and middle school educator, and a little bit about how he views the importance of being an educator in space. So with no further delay, let's go light speed and jump right ahead to our talk with Mr. Joe Acaba. Enjoy. Minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch the midlife circle. There she goes. Okay, well, thanks for coming on the show today, Joe. I know you're very busy, especially coming so close to your launch date. And like we just talked about before, you have an accelerated training program. You're not doing the two-year thing. You're doing six months. So yep. you are kind of got a pretty jam-packed schedule, huh? I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we found the time. And it is, uh, it's a little bit unique where usually our training flow is, depending on your experience, 18 months to two years. And I got a whole six months. So <laughs> it's uh, time is busy, but it's going really well. Very cool. All right. Well, how do you feel about now going on your second long duration mission? You went on your first one back in 2012. So uh, this is this is kind of pretty close, right? 2012, 2017. So not yeah, I, I can't complain. Five years in between missions yeah. is pretty good. I know it might seem like a long time for a lot of people, but uh, I'm pretty fortunate. And I'm, I'm excited to get back up there. Uh, every mission is different. Of course, you have different crewmates. Uh, different science experiments that are going on. So yeah, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty excited and ready to happen. It's just a couple of months away. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, since we have you here today and we could do a full episode, um, which is super fortunate that we actually have this much time, I figured we'd just go through your story, you know, all the way from when you grew up in California uh, back to, you know, what, what you're doing now and what you're planning on doing on Expedition 5354. And then maybe, you know, since you are uh, an educator, um, you know, maybe a little bit about education in space, what you feel about it, how, how it's kind of it's important. So um, Sounds good. I'll try not to bore you too much. <laughs> <laughs> You're an astronaut. You cannot be right. boring. Anything you say is you'll, amazing. <laughs> you'll have to steer me along on this one. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, growing up in California, right? So um, you grew up there and then went into college, uh, Bachelor of Science. But uh, I remember talking to you beforehand. You were interested, um, a metal shop class actually uh, it kind of influenced you uh, a little bit of your career and the beginning of your education, right? Yeah, it's funny that uh, a lot of people will ask you about your schooling and education or what was really important in your life and you know one thing I always reflect back on were these four years of uh, metal shop with Mr. Walters that we all called Walt and um, I stay in touch with him and he's now retired after I don't know if it was 35 years of teaching but wow um, when you look at what we did in that metal shop class that that dude was crazy I mean we (laughs) I mean, you know how crazy high school kids are in general. Yeah. And um, kids that age don't always make the best decisions. (laughs) And now here you are, you know, and being a former educator, when I see someone like him who had 30 kids in a class, 
and they're all doing different things in a metal shop. Yeah. It, it, it was pretty amazing. You're working with some intense equipment, right? Something could go wrong, but as an educator, you know, he had to trust you guys to do the right thing and lead you in the right path, I guess. He did. He, it took a lot of training before we started, but uh, again, we had all the pieces of equipment that you would find in any metal shop. Uh, you know, lays are they're churning at a at a fast speed where you can do a lot of damage to uh, you know yourself, the equipment. Yeah. Uh, we did gas welding. We did arc welding, um, which I wouldn't I wouldn't today give a 15 year old kid a gas <laughs> welder. You know, let alone in a class with 30 kids. So yeah, uh, he did that. And then we had a foundry where we were no kidding. We were melting stuff and pouring it in there and you know making things and i I, still today i look back and i don't know how he did it and for all those years but it was one of the best experiences that i had because i learned a lot you know about myself what i'm capable of doing it's of course at home i you know i wasn't a you know a big mechanic type dude but Mm -hmm. uh you know you learned a lot but then you also had to you know be responsible and you had to be accountable to yourself. And I think a lot of times we miss that and we don't realize how responsible kids can be because we don't give them that responsibility. And he gave it to us and, you know, we had to run with it. And, you know, I'm glad to still be alive after that class. Yeah, a lot of tangible lessons coming from that class for sure, too. You're talking, I mean, responsibility, I, I wouldn't think about that, but it makes t- total sense. You're working with heavy equipment. You got to make sure you have the responsibility in yourself right. to do the right thing. Yeah, he can't, he can't watch 30 kids at one yeah. time. And so, you know, I think what he did and what I took as an educator is, you know, you kind of start with small steps. Uh, you know, you got to guide the student, but at some point you got to let him go and uh, hopefully use the information that you gave him. And he was one of the best teachers ever at, at doing that and what he allowed us to do. Yeah, it sounds like it's a lot about trust, too. It seems yeah, like it's a valuable one. Yeah, and <laughs> maybe being crazy. I he, think he was a little crazy. But, <laughs> no, but we all loved him. A lot him. of it, trust, a little crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and he was, you know, one of the, uh, the more strict teachers that I had, but it, mm. it was in a way that you knew it was for your own benefit. Even back then, you know, you you understood why he was doing what he did. Yeah. Um, but I, I learned a lot, of course, while I was in that class, but then as an educator, you know, often I would look back at how he was and, mm-hmm. you know, tried to, to imitate him as much as I could. So, yeah. yeah. Um, a lot. So, I mean, was it, was it his style of teaching? Was it him as a teacher that made you really like the metal shop class, like you said, or was it was it the material, maybe a combination of both? It was probably a combination of both, but okay. I could see where if it was a different teacher that um, didn't allow you to, to work the way we did, yeah. I might not have enjoyed it. Where there I could go. see, you know, a teacher that said, okay, you know, we're gonna, you're only gonna do this and I'm gonna watch you do things every step of the way. It might not have been as enjoyable where he gave us a lot of freedom. And I think, you know, that was, that was pretty appealing, you know, at that age to have that freedom and that responsibility that somebody has given to you. Right. So, I mean, from there, you went to uh, University of Sa- uh, California, Santa Barbara, and uh, graduated with Bachelor of Science in Geology. How do you go from metal shop to a science bachelor's? Well, um, I think the the geology thing came from, you know, how we grew up. Uh, one thing that Every summer we would go camping. That was just kind of our thing. Maybe because Love the outdoors, yeah. You know, it was 
pretty free to do that. So, uh, you know, I'm sure my parents enjoyed that where, you know, we weren't hopping on a plane going to Europe. So that was right. not something we, we could do. But going camping was relatively inexpensive. But mm-hmm. it was always fun to get outdoors and always enjoyed that. And growing up, of course, just, you know, being out in the natural environment. So you go to college and you think about all the different things you could do. Mm-hmm. Geology is just sounded like, Hey, this is cool. You know, I get to study stuff that's outside and yeah. you know, now I can look at, Hey, why does the mountain look like that? Why is the river here? And so geology is just seemed like the, the perfect match for me. That's awesome. In, in school, what kinds of assignments did you have in, in, in college? What kind of assignments did you have that really kind of stick with you? Again, I think uh, some of the best classes when we were, you know, outside doing field mapping and things like yeah. that, where, you know, it's not always the most fun having to identify a hundred different minerals or rocks and go, okay, you know, this is your final exam. And <laughs> it was kind of, kind of cool that you could do that. Um, and it was fun being able to look in the microscope and be able to identify different minerals. But for me personally, and it was just being outside and, you mm-hmm. know, kind of walking around and looking at what's out there, looking inside the rocks, what might you find inside the rocks? And, you know, being a geologist, it's such a wide field that there are some folks that, you know, like to focus in on the small, and I just enjoyed more of the big and, and being outside. So after that, uh, you went for a master's uh, in geology, correct? So you wanted to continue your education. What made you want to do that? Well, I, you know, it, it seems like I wanted to continue. Um, like I tell people, I didn't want to continue after high school. My my dad kind of forced me into into going to college where I oh. just, yeah, I just, again, being in metal shop, I was happy working with my hands. And Yeah, you wanted to do the tech stuff. I wanted to go tech. Yeah. And I thought that I had the best plan. I'm going to go do solar panels and <laughs> I'm going to go straight to a tech school. And my dad wasn't having that at the time. And uh. so... Um, after a few arguments, he, he beat me down enough, not physically, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he won that battle and, uh, yeah. you know, he, he convinced me to do one year of college and said, Hey, just try it out. And if you hate it, that's cool. You know, at least, you know, you, you tried it. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciate that push that he gave me because otherwise I may not have done that. Um, and then after I finished my degree, uh, I thought about joining the uh, U.S. Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, I, I keep going back to education, not because I was an educator, but just because of the value of it. Right. Uh, one of my instructors, he told me about a grant that was out there to get my master's degree. Oh. And, you know, I was kind of tired of being in school. You know, you've like <laughs> pretty much been in school your whole life. And yeah. And so you're ready to do something different. Uh, but he told me about this that was out there so I ended up getting my master's at the University of Arizona so it was through that grant then it was through that that you know that helped pay for it yeah yeah and again you know he it it took an educator to kind of push me in that direction so uh you know he may not know I've talked to him a few times but he may not know the impact that that had in you know going to get your master's degree was Mm -hmm. you know of course you learn a lot but um it's those little things that help you get where you are today. Yeah. So did that help you? What the, the next step was that you went into the Marine Corps? Was that the next step? Well, I did the uh, I did the Marine Corps while I was in my uh, doing my undergraduate studies. Oh, I see. Okay. So I, I got had some buddies of mine, and we were hanging out, and we thought, hey, this would be a cool idea. Let's join the Marine Corps. And <laughs> you know, none of us backed out, and so we all right. <laughs> so it's a good we, group of friends. Then. Yeah. So we ended up. You know, I actually went to a boot camp with. Uh, you know, a couple of friends of mine, which was, uh, it was pretty cool. And of course, 
we're still great friends. Good. Um, and so I, I've done quite a few things in my life that my parents don't approve of. And, of course, joining the Marine Corps was not <laughs> one of their favorite choices that I made. Um, but, you know, it, it all worked out great. And, yeah, so that that all happened while I was in college. All right. So that was uh, in, in the Marine Corps. You were a hydrogeologist? Uh, nope. So uh, Oh, wow. I'm getting yeah. all this wrong. <laughs> That's okay. It's a complicated story, and I can barely keep it straight. Um, <laughs> So when I did the Marine Corps Reserve, uh, you know, we ended up, we were uh, working in communication, a field wireman doing that type of, you know, type of work. And it just happened that uh, the six years as a Marine Corps Reserve ended uh, when Mm. I finished up with my master's degree. Uh, It took me a while to get through school. (laughs) And so when I left uh, with my master's degree, that's when I worked out as a a hydrogeologist in uh, California. I see. Okay, so that sounds like such an interesting job. What is a hydrogeologist? What do you do? Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, you got the hydro in there, so you're you're dealing with water, and then you you got uh, earth stuff going on. But I always knew that even when I was thinking about the tech world, you know, doing solar energy, Mm -hmm. I've always been kind of uh, environmental related. Okay. And so ended up working with an environmental consulting firm. So when you're a hydrogeologist, a lot of times you're looking at, you know, how does groundwater flow? What kind of contaminants does it uh, have? Okay. And okay. being in Southern California, there's, you know, a lot of it when you think about the industry that was going on, um, you know, back in the 50s and 60s and things like that, mm-hmm. that, you know, there's quite a bit of contamination out there. So yeah. a lot of our job was, you know, mapping that. And then how do you remediate it? How do you you clean the water, how do you clean the soil that's there? So, uh, okay. you know, a lot of geologists, you know, they may go into the uh, the energy industry, but, you know, I kind of went more in the environmental area. Very cool. Um, so I feel like I'm gonna miss this up again, so I'm that's just gonna right. ask. Hey, might uh, as well. So what happened, <laughs> what happened next? I know there's Peace Corps, but then also manager of uh, uh, Caribbean Marine Research Center. I don't know which one came first, but yep, they uh, both sound amazing. Yep, you got it right. So <laughs> I, I worked as a, uh, a hydrogeologist for, I don't know, maybe it was a year and a half, two years. Okay. Um, and I was looking at the Peace Corps when I was doing my undergraduate work, and I actually I had applied for the Peace Corps before uh, you know, Mr. Sylvester uh, directed me over to uh, getting my master's degree. Hmm. And so I kind of put the Peace Corps on hold. But it was always something I, you know, something I still wanted to do. I don't know, I just uh, wanted to do this public service and thought it was an important uh, agency. So hmm. after working for a while, it, it just seemed like a, a good time to to pursue that. And so just quit the job and became a volunteer. Wow. Yeah. Bold move. <laughs> Again, disappointing the parents every step of the way. It was not what they wanted to hear that uh, I was going to become a volunteer. Yeah. But so what uh, What was it about the Peace Corps that really drove you? And then what did you do when you were in there? You know, maybe it was, you know, recruiters coming out and talking about the work that the Peace Corps does. It's a, it's a pretty unique agency that uh, President Kennedy started. And it it kind of has a few different goals, but it's to to go out to third world countries and help them with the needs that they identify. So it's mm-hmm. not, you know, us going there and saying, hey, you got to fix this, but them identifying projects and requesting volunteers to go there to work on those. Uh, but it's also a great opportunity for the U.S. to send, you know, these young people out there, not that all are young, but... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, as representatives of the U.S. So every Peace Corps volunteer is like a an ambassador that's out there representing our country. So that's uh, that that seemed pretty appealing. And then, of course, when you come back sharing that story, and I worked as uh, in environmental education. Okay. So the environmental part, you know, I'd kind of established with what I was doing, and education to me was in terms of being an educator was new, but it also sounded appealing. And I think after doing that, it kind of led me to, to being an educator. So, okay. So it was, I'm, it sounded like it's a little bit of the Peace Corps, but then also you keep referring to, you know, your experiences with Walt and and Mr. Sylvester, these, these key people in your life that kind of inspired you. And I guess in a sense, would you say it's, it's kind of, you wanted to kind of emulate that? You wanted to uh, be that person, maybe? I guess, you know, now that okay. you say that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like I... Don't I put words no, in your no, mouth. but, you know, of course, and I think it's the way with, you know, most most students and most people is, sure. you, you know, you don't realize, you know, what what is going on at the time. You know, it's, mm. uh, you know, I never would have thought while I was in metal shop going, man, this is changing my life. This is, you know, really cool. Or, hey, thanks, Dr. Sylvester, for, you know, sending me to get my master's. You know, you just... It's one of those where I think that uh, we don't always realize the opportunities that are there. Mm-hmm. And so either you have to be smart enough or lucky enough to to seize those opportunities. Yeah. And I think in, in my case, it was uh, I was lucky enough to have those people that that did that. And so, uh, you know, again, with the, the Peace Corps just uh, was just another uh, kind of step in the right direction and just learned a lot that helped me as an educator and I think helped me a lot as an astronaut today. Yeah, wow. Awesome. I, I, it really only takes one. I mean, a similar story with me. It was, a, it was a Mr. McCoskey. It was, he, was a, he was a film and TV teacher and he, oh. like, I took his film and TV class and I was like, this, I want to do this. Yeah. Uh, whatever it takes to do this, this is what I want to do. And he, it was the same thing. He, uh, he trusted the students with all this expensive equipment and we just went out and made some great films and cool, cool stuff and it, you know, it kind of helped me out. Right. <laughs> we'll give him that it. shout out. Yeah. Uh, hopefully he'll be listening to this. That's cool. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. So, um, you know, you, you said that's what uh, led you to be an educator and it's you started as a high school educator, right? Yep. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. I, I did uh, one year as a ninth and 10th grade integrated science teacher okay. and then uh, ended up moving to the middle school and that that's a whole we could probably spend a couple hours talking about middle school <laughs> education uh but it to me and i think you know every teacher is different and teachers mm-hmm. feel comfortable with different age groups and uh, i didn't think i was going to enjoy the middle school as much as i did um, yeah it's, it, it's a crazy time you know for parents that have middle school age kids they know what they're you know what there's a lot going through there's a lot going on with those kids (laughs) and you know a lot of kids at that age you know they don't know you know as they shouldn't you know what they want to do in life but yeah some of the decisions you make you know early on can really dictate that initial path that you might take and so I feel like there's a lot of room during those ages to motivate kids to to enjoy school and of course I like the sciences and math so trying to make that fun and exciting so they don't leave middle school going you know I hate math or you know those kids that say oh I'm terrible at math well it's probably because you haven't had you know somebody that that taught it in a way that you could understand and so I yeah you know I tell people hey it's not it's not always you and it's just 
it could be the teacher just didn't quite get it right for you and you know we're all different mm -hmm. and so it's just finding that way to motivate a student yeah, it was the same way, right? You, I, I had my fair share of science teachers that were just, they literally put up the, in the uh, projectors, yeah. they just put up pages of the textbook and we just had to write down the notes and it was just wildly boring, but it yeah. was such an interesting interesting subject, right? It was biology for me and it just didn't work. But then, you know, next year I had a chemistry teacher who lit stuff on fire day one. Yeah, and I was that. like, this is awesome. <laughs> chemistry is amazing. <laughs> but you're like right, it just, it, it's, fire. so what did you do to, to really get, you know, to try to get them to actually like math and science? You know, I think it's uh, as much hands-on as you can do. That's and, what I would think, yeah, light it, stuff on fire. But, yeah, you know, if you can light <laughs> stuff on fire, the classroom kids are going to love you. Uh, <laughs> principal might not love you, but, right. uh, you know, but it, it is hard being an educator today, and I think it's always been hard because you're always torn between you have standardized testing and you know you have to have your kids at a certain level mm -hmm. but you also want to make it exciting for the kids so it's it's kind of finding that balance and trying to make it as exciting as you can and every kid likes science i mean we all i mean as a kid every kid uh, you know we're all scientists we yeah curious in a way curious yeah. you know you you like playing with bugs you <laughs> you want to be outside, whatever. I mean, science yeah. is just, it's cool. And, it is. But over the years, I think as you go through school, if everything you do in science is out of a book, it's no longer fun. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, somehow we lose this kind of love for science. And so as much as you can do as an educator to keep it fun and to be that teacher that a kid will look back and go, you know, that was a, that was a cool class. I learned a lot, but we had fun doing it. And yeah. I think that's the key. Those were always the moments that I go back to, you know, with my science classes from, you know, physics, taking a slinky outside yep. in the hallway and just shaking it around and seeing how, <laughs> how waves work, you know, right. instead of just describing waves or reading from a book, let's shake it and figure it out, yep. you know? It's it's those little moments that really, I think, are, are they're fun. They're really cool. You're outside the classroom actually doing stuff. And it sounds like you're kind of the same way, especially with uh, metal shop class, actually hands-on. You want to touch yep. stuff. You want to do stuff. You got to do it. You know, yeah. the books are great. They have their place, but... Uh, you know, you got to be hands-on, and that's always the challenge I found with math is that, you know, math takes a little bit more work <clears throat> to make it hands-on and to make yeah. it exciting. It's uh, If you like math, it's it's cool and it's exciting, but mm -hmm. if you're somebody who doesn't like math, it, it's hard to make it exciting. Yeah. And so I think the exciting part is when a, a student understands a concept and you've helped them kind of get to that point. Um, but nothing worse than having a kid leave your class that says, and I hate math and I'm terrible at math. You know, then yeah. you're just like, man, I didn't do that kid right. So <laughs> it, it, it is a challenge. You know, some classes, of course, you know, you're teaching about space or you're teaching about dinosaurs. Every kid loves that. So sure. that's yeah. kind of easy. But it's those other subjects that aren't always as much fun. Yeah. That are more challenging. Yeah. I mean, I guess sometimes it just comes down to just for natural skill in a way, right? So sometimes it just clicks and sometimes it takes a little extra to click and sometimes it never clicks. Yeah. So and, that's know. always a bummer though, you know? But hopefully you can make it. I think everybody has the ability. It just, it, it might take a little bit more work on the part of the teacher and the part of the student. Yeah. Or some things are naturally easy, but if they're not, you know, that's okay. But you mm -hmm. can... I always tell people, you don't need to be the smartest dude out there, mm -hmm. but you can always be the hardest working person out there. Nobody can stop you from working hard. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it just takes more work than 
than you may want to put in at the time. That's true. <laughs> Especially at that age. Especially at that yep. age, for sure. So, I mean, you taught you taught middle school for, and you said you enjoyed it. You taught it for four years. It was around this time where you applied to be an astronaut? Yep. Okay. So I was, you know, teaching middle school and, you know, loving every minute of it and mm-hmm. just really felt like education is where I wanted to be. And cool. uh, just love the job love the kids, love the community. Mm-hmm. And one day a teacher came in and told me that she saw something uh, about NASA wanting to hire uh, some educators to become astronauts. I go, that's, you know, that sounds interesting. You know, as a kid, you know, the Apollo missions were kind of going on and, yeah. you know, that was exciting. And I liked reading science fiction and all of that. So, you know, I think a lot of kids think of becoming an astronaut someday because it's, you know, it is cool. Yeah. And, you know, going to space is it's pretty awesome. And so <laughs> you can say from experience, yeah, <laughs> I, it, it is cool. And, you know, but a lot of times you think of astronauts and you go, well, you know, there's a few people they get to do that. And, mm. you know, it might've been my dream, but it just didn't work out. Sure. And so when I heard about NASA wanting to hire some educators, I just, I went online and started reading more about it and what the requirements were. And I just kind of looked at, you know, my resume kind of like we've done and, you know, looked at what I had done and looked at what NASA was looking for and I go man mm-hmm. I'm a you know pretty decent match so yeah let me go ahead and apply and you know again you can't win if you don't play so <laughs> I just went ahead and uh, submitted my application and was fortunate enough to get hired that's amazing awesome so then you kind of transitioned into to Houston started training next thing you know you're on a shuttle mission right that's uh, yeah, your first shuttle mission was 2009 yep pretty crazy yeah you, know, you go from uh middle school teacher to you know now going into space and, yeah. and it was it, it was very very cool to to be able to go on a shuttle flight and mm-hmm. you know you go from being a teacher uh, and now when you join NASA as an astronaut you know you're starting from step one so now you're becoming a student and yeah. so you know that was a little bit of a, a challenge just because there's so much you have to learn um, you know again astronauts we come from different fields you know, some are medical doctors, you know, I'm a geologist. Yeah. And so we all have to learn these basic skills that, you know, some are more challenging than others. Um, you know, you have to learn how to how to do a spacewalk. You have to learn how to fly the robotic arm. You just, you got to learn about orbital mechanics. I mean, it's like, <laughs> oh, what are you talking about? You got to learn how to fly a jet. I've never flown before. Yeah. And so there's all these things that you have to learn in a short period of time. And it's uh, it's not easy being a student. And I think I'll be a better teacher someday, having (laughs) gone back as an adult and becoming a a student again and knowing how hard it can be. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because, you know, training, astronaut training, and we talked about this with uh, Randy Bresnik actually a couple episodes ago, Um, but astronaut training is intense because it's, it's, you have to be an all around, I guess, jack of all, almost not even a jack of all trades, kind of a master of all trades in a sense. I mean, you are working with people on the ground all the time who are who have your back, but at the same time, you have to know a lot. You have to know a lot of different things. You do. It's uh, that's part of what makes it exciting, and yeah. part of what makes it challenging is that you know you're not an expert in any one field. Sure. We have all these smart people here at Johnson Space Center that are that are the experts, but we have to know enough about each one of those so that we can support whatever the mission you know may be, and so. You know, you can go one day, hey, you know, here I'm, you know, we're doing a podcast and we're talking about this. And then, yeah. you know, on Friday, I'll be in the uh, the neutral buoyancy lab, you know, practicing for spacewalks. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be 
in a simulation tomorrow with the robotic arm. And so you're wow. kind of jumping around, going back and forth to different things. And so it's putting all of that together and just being able to process it is it, it is it is the challenge. <laughs> yeah, but it's fun. So so neutral buoyancy laboratory, you're going to be practicing. You know, that's that's where you go. It's underwater, yep. and they call it neutrally buoyant because you're kind of, I guess, floating and sinking at the same time is, is the phenomenon, yeah, so in a sense. It, it's a, and, a big swimming pool we yeah. have. I mean, it's a, a big swimming pool that we have. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a mock-up, uh, you know, kind of a model of the International Space Station mm-hmm. there, and and we get into spacesuits that have been modified a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, they're pressurized just like a regular suit would be. Mm-hmm. And we have these great divers that will get you in the water and kind of move weights and foam around okay. to get you to where you are just floating in the water at the right spot. So yeah, kind of like, I guess, suspended? Yeah, kind yeah. of suspended okay. in there. And that's the closest we can get to being uh, in a microgravity environment. Mm-hmm. And when they do a good job and you're working, you know, you can let go and you don't go up, you don't go down. You're just, you know, right there like you would be in space. So it's that is another team effort when you look at what it takes to get us in that pool to practice for the spacewalks, but it, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So I mean, you've you're going in there on Friday. I'm sure you've been in there, but bef- plenty of times before. But also on your uh, on your space shuttle mission back in 2009, you did two spacewalks. You got uh, uh, well over 12 hours of, of spacewalking time, almost 13. So how does that compare, neutral buoyancy laboratory spacewalking, to your actual experience? It, it's it's as good as we can get, and yeah. it's really good. So cool. on on Friday coming up is actually my big. Uh, my big test, my evaluation. So oh, that's, that's okay. my big test day. I got a, I got a cram for that. And yeah, you should be studying right now. I know you, you guys are killing me. <laughs> but uh, um, so I've got a lot to do before Friday. But it's, it is an opportunity for other astronauts and the EVA world, the spacewalk world, to look at your skills and mm-hmm. and fine tune anything they need to fix. So I've got that. And but when you look at being in the pool to being in space, it's it's really really good. You wow. know, in the pool. It might be a little bit more physically challenging because you do have, you know, water that you're fighting against where in space you don't have that. Okay, yeah. But in space, you're looking at Earth that's, you know, a couple hundred miles below you. Right. And every movement that you make is critical. And so when you get done with the spacewalk, you're really mentally tired. So I think you get out of the, you know, the MBL and you are super tired. You're ready just to sit on the couch and and relax and after a spacewalk it's kind of the same so when you look at the two it's it's a pretty good analogy to what you're going to feel like up in space wow so what what were those um two spacewalks that you were doing on on discovery what were you doing yeah so on the the first one which i wasn't uh i was the guy inside reading the procedures was uh putting the last set of solar panels up on the space station oh I see. so uh two of my crewmates went out and so i was able to walk them through that and then the the next couple that we had were just a bunch of odds and ends on the space station. And, you know, one story I, I tell people about that, you know, it's not always fun to relive it, but, <laughs> you know, my first spacewalk, you're all pumped up. This is cool. I'm going to go out and do a spacewalk and yeah. everything's going pretty good. And then I made, uh, you know, a mistake because I kind of got twisted around and did something not the way it was supposed to be. Okay. And you know, now you're like, you're bummed out. You're like, man, you know, it's all this time, everybody's watching you and, right. and then you screw this thing up. And, <laughs> and so, you know, you come in and you're a little bit disappointed. The rest of the spacewalk went well and we, you know, we got done what we had to do, but sure. now the people on the ground had to try to 
figure out why something didn't work the way it was planned. Uh, and you're reflecting back going, man, I made this mistake. And mm -hmm. so you kind of go from this like most, you know, the greatest moment ever to, man, this kind of sucks, you know. <laughs> and, but it's a good, it, you know, to me, again, it, you look at all the little points in your life and it was, uh, you know, that it's another important point where you learn from failure. Um, I had great crewmates, great leadership around me that allowed me to learn from that experience. And mm -hmm. so, you know, again, talking to students that, you know, when you make a mistake, it's not always a bad thing. It's just, you know, how do you rebound and how do you learn from it? Yeah, definitely. I have a couple of instances myself I'm yeah. thinking of at the top of my head where, you know, it's just not going to go the way that you're planning. No. Actually, that was my senior project in high school is what, what did you learn from this experience? I was like, things do not go the way you yeah. planned. I made like a whole storyboard. I had a schedule for scripting and making this film and just nothing went according to plan. Unlike you, I had friends that constantly bailed on me. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> and that's never fun. And, yeah. You know, and you can always play it safe and try not, you know, try to minimize the mistakes. But, you know, that's how you learn and that's what makes it exciting and yeah. you know and and it's okay to to mess things up a little bit and mm -hmm. you know you can reflect on it but you know don't let it don't let it bring you down too much because yeah. you're you know you're gonna make a lot of mistakes in life so you might as well learn how to do it early absolutely so i mean when you, when you were recruited as an astronaut you said that nasa was looking for educators to go into space so what was it that you did differently as an educator in space versus i guess uh, uh, others you know it's uh so we came in and we were building on the uh, the teacher in space program okay. where they were looking for teachers to fly, you know, as educators, do a lesson plan. Mm -hmm. You know, Chris McAuliffe went and that's what she was going to do mm -hmm. and then come back and then go back into teaching where when they hired us, they were looking at educators to become full-time astronauts. So, mm. you know, for the first time since they opened it up to scientists, you know, early astronauts were all... Uh, military pilots right yeah and then they opened it up to uh, the sciences so now you know we have a wide range of scientists mm -hmm. and in 2004 they opened it up again to include educators so mm -hmm. that um, if you have a teaching background it's no different than somebody who's got a background in chemistry or biology wow. and so um, you know our mission was it was pretty packed like most shuttle flights are so yeah I don't think that we did a whole lot on orbit working with teachers and students you know as educators yeah um, but I think the biggest thing we did is that you know I was lucky enough on my flight that I came in with two other teachers oh wow um, Ricky Arnold and yeah. Dottie Metcalf Lindenberger uh -huh. and Ricky and I we flew together on the shuttle flight so here you have two teachers that are <laughs> in space together yeah which is kind of cool and I think it's uh was pretty important for educators but then Ricky and I also went out and did a spacewalk together. So wow. now you've got two teachers that are outside, you know, showing that, hey, you know, they have a skill just like anybody else does. So I think it it did you know, a lot of good for the teaching profession. I think that yeah. uh, when we go out and we talk to educators, you know, they look back at that time and teachers aren't always valued as much as they should be. You know, we all know the saying, if you can't do teach. And so <laughs> if you can't teach, teach, Jim, there you go. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think to show that uh, teachers have a skill set just like anybody else was was important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yes, because you're inspiring. You're inspiring teachers, right? Teachers are looking at you and saying, wow, I'm a teacher. And that teacher's doing that. That's yeah. and, incredible. And the same with kids. You know, kids look at, you know, teachers and, you know, they just think, well, you know, 
everybody knows a teacher. Yeah. And so they can relate to a teacher, and you can't always relate to astronauts because you may never meet one. So I think even for students to go, you know, this is somebody, you know, it could be my current math teacher, you know, could be an astronaut. I can be an astronaut. Yeah. You know? uh, so I think uh, it's easier for kids to make that leap, but, you know, you can do pretty much whatever you want to do as long as you're, you know, you got to work hard. There is some luck involved. So, yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, I just think it makes it uh, a little bit more tangible for people. Sure. Especially because cause after you went on that mission, did you kind of travel around and go to different speaking engagements, speaking with schools and, yeah, uh, and as, stuff like that? As astronauts, we uh, part of our job is to go out and yeah. as an educator, my preference is to go out and either talk to uh, teachers or students where, okay. you know, we may have uh, the astronauts that are doctors that may enjoy more going to medical conferences and things like Makes that. Sense. So, yeah. um, you know, I think for the three of us, they got hired. We always enjoyed going back to schools, um, mm-hmm. going to national conferences where we can talk to teachers and, and share our experiences. And, right. you know, we know that, um, we can go and we maybe we can inspire some students, but it's the teachers every day that are making the big difference. Yeah. But if we can go in and help them do their job, then, you know, I think that's pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there is there any um, kind of teaching moments that you took on your long duration flight? Because uh, you flew again in 2012, Expedition 3132. You were up there for quite a time, uh, quite a while, 123 days. So, you know, what what kind of education uh, element did you bring to that mission? So we we tried to do some more uh, outreach with uh, teachers and students. I see. Um, okay. And then we did some filming of different, uh, you know, experiments up there that uh, teachers could use. Cool. Um, but one of the things that, uh, whether it was intentional or not, you know, while we were educators, you know, now our primary job is to be an astronaut. Sure. Yeah. And so the missions are pretty busy. And I think with this upcoming mission, what, what's, again, what's unique is that, you know, I'll be launching hopefully in September. Mm-hmm. I'll be up there for about six months. Right. And then uh, Ricky Arnold's going to be going up and, you know, replacing me. So we're going to have there a year with uh, educators on orbit, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of, you know, it's, it'll be the first time and uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty unique. And, uh, and NASA is, you know, we're currently working on, you know, what can we do while these guys are up there for a year yeah. to really highlight education. Um, and so, uh, again, you, being an astronaut, you never know what's going to happen. And so a lot of this is building as we're talking today. Right. But uh, NASA education is looking at uh, a plan on what can we do to utilize these guys that have a unique skill set as educators. So I, I think it's going to be a, a good year for, you know, NASA to reach out to educators and students and get a lot done. Absolutely. I can't wait to see what's going to so happen. That's me either. Great. More to come. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so, I mean, you have that, that long-duration mission, Expedition 31, 32, back in 2012. What's different for this one that you have coming up in September? It's every flight is different, especially when they're long duration flights. Again, a shuttle flight was very well, you know, choreographed. Things might happen, but you you really knew what you were going to do. Where in a long duration flight, you don't know. You don't know when the toilet's going to break. You don't know, um, you know, what may happen. And what's neat about today is that NASA is working hard to make the process to get science on board a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And so there are people submitting science proposals now that could potentially be up there while we're there. Cool. 
And while I'm up there, we're going to have, uh, you know, an additional person working on, uh, you know, on the USOS, the operating side, right. you know, the science. So we have another body, which will allow us to do more science. Okay. And so I think this time around, it's going to be a lot more science, you know, intensive just because we have an additional person and we just have a wide variety of experiments that are going on in and it's fun because as an astronaut, our job is to facilitate the science that people want to get done up on, on the space station. And so it could be just like it is here, you know, every day is different up there. Every single day is different. And wow. that's, you, you just, you never get bored up there <laughs> and every mission is definitely different. Wow. Awesome. So, okay, so you kind of alluded to, you know, you're going to have uh, some education, especially with you going up, followed by Ricky Arnold. We got this year of space educators. You know, going back to, to STEM, what? how do you see the value of STEM, especially being an educator and someone, you know, a STEM educator? What's the value of STEM and especially, you know, from space to how that applies? Everything we, we do is all, you know, STEM, the science, technology, engineering, and math. And right. You know, nowadays you'll hear the uh, the A put in, uh, you know, they'll call it STEAM, yes. to put the arts in, yeah. which is very applicable because, you know, a lot of people think that math and science is, is very rigid and, you know, it's it's kind of boring, but it's really, it's fairly artistic when you look at, you know, at, you know, math and you look mm -hmm. at science. Creative um, problem solving. It is. Right? It's, yeah. it's what you're doing. You're creating things, whether you're solving the problem or you're discovering something new. Sure, yeah. Um, but... So everything we do here on Earth is, you know, it's you, you can thank science for it. You know, somewhere <laughs> in the STEM field, you know, whether it's the car you drive, the phone you use, the video game you play, yeah, you know, all of that is STEM. Right. And it's such a a wide range that you know NASA people think of NASA and then they think of STEM, but it's every day. I mean, science, technology, engineering, and math is what we do every single day, and. I think that's why we like to talk about it is to let, you know, let those kids know that it's not that boring, yeah. you know, science class that you might have where all you did was read out of a book. Right. It really is exciting and it really, you know, is applicable to what you do every day. And, you know, if you like sports, guess what? You know, the clothes you wear, <laughs> you know, the new fabric that you have, that's all, you know, that's all science. That's engineering. Yeah. Um, you know, the basketball, the baseball. I mean, everything we do is STEM related. And right. we just don't always realize that. It's amazing. Um, so, you know, kind of going back all the way to the beginning of your story where you were talking about um, kind of being in in inspired to pursue geology because of some camping trips. Why did you choose something STEM? Why didn't, why, you know, why'd you go that route versus like a, a journalist or like, you know, writing about the outdoors or something? Why'd you go, why'd you go science? Well, maybe because it was, you know, easier. I'm not the, uh, the best writer out there. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not, uh, you know, a, an actor type. And, you know, for me, you know, luckily math was, you know, relatively easy mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, I don't know. It just seemed like that was the natural fit. And, you know, I was lucky enough that, you know, I could find a field that I really enjoyed. And so, again, when I talk to, to, to students when I go out, it's like just find something that you enjoy doing. Yeah. You know, and but don't be afraid of something that's hard because, you know, then you're going to limit what you can do. Oh, yeah. Um, 
But I, I think I, I, I make a better scientist than I would a, a journalist, though. <laughs> I'm glad we have different people out there with, uh, you know. Different skill sets. Different skill sets, yeah. different things that they enjoy doing. So <laughs> I, I think all of you journalists that are out there. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's it's a it's everything kind of has a purpose, and you're right. Pursue what you love. Some people just they love the storytelling aspect, so they'll right. go for that. Others, you know, they they want to know the whys, and they yeah. want to be outside touching things. So, but if you don't do something you love, it mm-hmm. life is going to be long. Yeah, because it, uh, it it makes a big difference when you have a job that you enjoy, and you know, fortunate enough to have one like that. But uh, yeah, so yeah, just. Try to find something that, that you really enjoy and work hard at it. Very cool. So, so we'll leave, I, I feel like that would be a great place to, to leave our audience, but I do want to ask one more question. Okay. So, you know, us at NASA, what, especially from your educator perspective, what can we do at NASA to just to sort of really convince people that STEM is a great field to go into? Or STEAM, sorry, STEAM. Yeah, I think if, you know, if NASA can share what we do you know, you use the word convince. I don't think we need to uh, to convince anybody because hmm. the work we do is important. I think our biggest challenge is telling people, you know, what we do here. And, yeah. you know, NASA is, is this, it's a, it's a big entity. We're doing a lot of cool things, but, you know, we have journalists, we have the divers at the NBL, we have, you know, engineers. So, Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on there that you know people can you know if they want to join NASA to help you know the cause to you know that we have of exploring, helping life on Earth. But you know our biggest challenge is sharing what we do every day because it, it is cool. Um, going into space is great. It's great being an astronaut, but that is such a small part of what we do. Yeah. And the the hard part is just it's getting out there and sharing it with folks so that's i think the job that you know we all have for anybody that works at nasa definitely very cool well joe i think that's all the time we have for for our listeners i think uh stay tuned for the for till after the music and we'll let you know how to submit an idea or maybe ask a question but uh but uh joe that was awesome um i just uh want to thank you for your time today Uh, i know this was quite a long time especially compared to the other thing you had to do and it sounds like you have a pretty jam-packed week with what with uh, learning how to operate in a robotic arm and going in the neutral buoyancy laboratory so so i appreciate the time thank you very much yeah you're welcome it's uh it's gonna be a good week and hopefully we can talk when i get back and we'll share the uh the post-flight experience yeah i hope so can't wait to see what you're gonna do in orbit all right thanks a lot cool Hey, thanks for sticking around. So today we talked with Joe Acaba, U.S. astronaut, uh, and he is going to be going to space very soon at the time of this recording. So if you want to follow him along on his journey, he has a Twitter account, at Astro Acaba, and he'll be sharing his experience uh, on board as an astronaut and an educator in space. 
We'll also be sharing his story on the International Space Station accounts and an account called NASA Astronauts. Just go to uh, either one of those accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're verified, so don't even worry about it. And we'll be sharing his experience, maybe some of the cool views that he shares, maybe some videos or some moments he shares with uh, educators that he'll be talking to while on orbit. Just use the hashtag AskNASA or the hashtag HWAP, H-W-H-A-P, Houston, we have a podcast. Use any of those on your favorite platform, submit an idea for the show or maybe a question you have for Joe, and we'll make sure to uh, address it on one of the later podcasts. This podcast was recorded on July 10th, 2017. Thanks to Alex Perryman, John Stoll, Pat Ryan, and John Streeter. And thanks again to Mr. Joe Acaba for coming on the show. We'll see you next week.